Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. In Capernaum, there was a certain royal official whose son was sick. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and begged him to come down and heal his son, because his son was about to die. Jesus told him, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you certainly will not believe. The royal official said to him, Lord, come down before my little boy dies. Go, Jesus told him. Your son is going to live. The man believed this word that Jesus spoke to him and left. Already as he was going down, his servants met him with the news that his boy was going to live. So he asked them what time his son got better. They told him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Then the father realized that was the exact time when Jesus had told him, your son is going to live. And he himself and his whole household believed. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did after he came from Judea into Galilee. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. In our worship this morning, we are singing some good hymns. Probably the best of the three is the one that you're not going to sing unless you're in Sunday school. Glory be to God the Father, who comes at the end of the service. Some hymns are better than others, and what makes a hymn good is not just that it has a catchy tune and a memorable chorus. The best hymns have that going for them, too. But what makes a hymn good, really, is that it proclaims the goodness of God. Especially the goodness of God as it is revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ. There is a very good hymn like that that I would have picked, probably should have picked, to sing today if I picked hymns and wrote sermons at the same time, but I don't. It's a very good hymn called What God Ordains is Always Good. And since we're not singing it, I'm just going to ask you to listen to some of the best lines from the original version of this hymn. And what makes this hymn so good is that it confesses that nothing happens in this world. Nothing happens apart from God's eternal will for your life. And that God's eternal will for your life is that you will live in communion with Him as long as you walk in this world. And then you are going to live together with Him in perfect communion forever in heaven because of what His Son Jesus has done for you. That is the truth Samuel Rodegas confesses so beautifully in these lines from the hymn. His hand that brings me sadness will turn my tears to gladness. There is no poison in the cup that my physician sends me, and though I may know both joy and woe, sometimes I someday I shall see clearly that he hath loved me dearly. That is a bold confession that comes from a strong faith. In this morning's gospel, we meet a royal official, and the fact that this royal official also has faith in Jesus is not really up for debate, because he does things that you just wouldn't do if you didn't believe in Jesus. For example, he travels from his own town of Capernaum all the way to Cana to get to Jesus. But even more convincingly than that, he leaves the sickbed of his dying son. Not something a father does unless he is very convinced that he is going to go help, to get help from wherever he is going. So he clearly does believe that Jesus is going to help him, but this royal official, 
those who have a glaring weakness in his faith. Unlike that hymn writer, Samuel Roigas, this royal official has a faith that requires him to see things. He needs visual proof, evidence that what Jesus says is going to happen is actually going to happen. But Jesus desires faith that is full and complete. Faith that believes it's going to happen just because Jesus says it's going to happen. Faith that does not require sight or proof. See, the royal official wants Jesus to come down to his house in Capernaum so that he can see, so that he can get the physical evidence that his son is going to be healed. But Jesus does not need to come down to this man's house because Jesus has already come down from heaven. He was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, so he is a human being, but he is also fully, always, and completely God. And it is that divinity of Jesus Christ, it, it is his identity as God himself, that makes true Christian faith what the writer to the Hebrews calls the evidence of things not seen. That Christian faith that does not depend on sight, that does not demand proof, is constantly under attack. And it's under attack from some pretty powerful enemies, too. In the second lesson today, we heard the Apostle Paul explain, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have powerful spiritual enemies that tell us a lie about God and His reliability. Reasonable people, our enemies say. Reasonable people. And you are a reasonable person. There may be nobody in this world who's more reasonable than you. Reasonable people demand proof. Reasonable, reasonable people require some evidence no matter who is speaking to them. And those spiritual enemies that tell us that lie about God, it's not just that, it's also our experience with other people in this world. All the experience we have with unreliable, sinful people. We live in a world full of scammers and snake oil salesmen and charlatans, so these, these spiritual liars, our enemies, along with our experience with sinful people, they all pull us toward treating God by the same standards, the same empirical standards, that we treat other human beings. So this royal official does have faith, and so do we, but it is an imperfect faith, a faith that still requires sight, and it is that weakness in his faith that Jesus is rebuking when he says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you, you will certainly not believe. Now Jesus is not accusing that royal official or anyone else in Canaan of having no faith at all but only a faith that still depends on sight, a faith that still needs some vision. Now, if there is any weakness like that at all in our own faith, we can take some comfort from the fact that nobody's faith is perfect. That's not exactly a great comfort, though, is it? The whole nobody's perfect thing? Because it doesn't really do anything to help you, does it? It's just a misery loves company kind of thing. It doesn't do anything to make you more perfect. The, the far greater comfort 
when you look at your own imperfect faith is that when you look on the pages of Scripture, you see that God does not give up on people with this kind of faith. He doesn't quit on people who have a faith that still requires some visual proof and evidence. You see that in Jesus' own disciples who were in the middle of a fierce storm on the Sea of Galilee, and they panicked. They thought they were going to die because of what they saw. Even though the Son of God was with them on that boat, although he was sleeping in the stern at the moment. But what about the children of Israel that we heard about in the first lesson today? God swore on himself to their forefather Abraham. God gave them his word that the land of Canaan would one day be theirs, be the land of Israel. And what did they do? They went with what they saw over what they heard from the mouth of God. So the spies came out of that promised land and said, oh, 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 oh. no, we're not going in there again, and neither should you. These people are huge, plus they got towers. They're just going to rain arrows and rocks down on us, and we're all going to die. The Israelites actually plotted to murder Moses and voluntarily return to slavery in Egypt. The logic being, well, sure, we'll be slaves, but we'll be alive slaves instead of corpses in the land of Canaan. But Jesus didn't give up on his disciples. He stayed there in that boat with them and showed them again that his word is enough. His word makes it happen. And the Lord did not give up on the Israelites either. He remained faithful to his word, to what he said to them. And in the end, that promised land was theirs. And Jesus, when he sees the imperfect faith of this royal official, he does not give up on him either. He does not turn around and leave the man because his faith is imperfect. Instead, Jesus does rebuke that weakness in his faith because having that kind of faith that still requires proof, even from God, has some very dangerous spiritual consequences. Then Jesus stays with the man and he speaks words to him that will make his faith stronger, more perfect, and more complete. Now, if there is any part of your Christian faith, any part of mine, that still wants proof from God, that still man's sight, and there is, we all have some of that weakness in our faith, we need to hear this review for ourselves too, we need to take it with the love and concern that Jesus intended, and we need to stay with our Savior and listen to him say words to us that will strengthen our faith too, and make it more complete. Strengthening faith is exactly what Jesus does for this man. Go, Jesus told him. Your son is going to live. And it is those words Jesus speaks that now convinces this man he can turn around and go home by himself without Jesus and his son will be healed because when Jesus speaks, it happens. And it proves the truth of what St. Paul wrote. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. And from all this, we can see that what God ordains really is always good. And that does take some explaining. You would not say the illness that took this little boy to the point of death is good in and of itself. Of course, the illness itself is not good. And you would not say that the distress would cause this father. The distress would cause any parent in that situation. You wouldn't say that distress is in and of itself good. Of course not. But how did God use that illness and that distress in the life of this royal official? Just think about how he has identified his job 
royal official. This is a powerful man. A man who has control over things. Now here comes something that he's powerless over. Something he has no control over. This illness. And it leads him to forget about himself. Forget his own power. Deny himself. And go to Jesus for help. In the end, God used that disease and that illness to get this man to go to Jesus to hear words and strengthen his faith. And in the end, he himself and his whole household believed. Specifically, they believe now that what God says happens. His faith in that truth is now more perfect and more complete. And dear Christians, please realize this is the same grace that God shows to you in your life. To ordain everything that happens to you, even woe and sadness, for your good. And when these troubles come into your life, it is not God punishing you for anything that you have done wrong. That is a lie of the devil that he tells Christians to try to get them to walk away from a loving God. These things do not come because God is punishing you. Your punishment has already been taken by Jesus on the cross. But instead, when God allows these things to come, he is working for you just as he worked for this royal official to get you to deny yourself, to forget about your own power and control, and to go to Jesus, to listen to him speak to you, and to make your own faith more complete. And this is the heart, the center, of what your Savior speaks to you in his word. In this story, we have the happy ending of a little boy, a son, who was helped and healed. But there was also a time when God's son was at the point of death. And for God's son, there was no help. There was no healing at all. Because he was taking the punishment that your sins deserved. Your weakness of faith and all the rest. And God's suffering was so severe, that his wounds were so deep, that he did die. Not only a physical death, but also the torment of hell, your place. By the death of that son, because he was God's own son, by that death, you were made one. You were atoned for. Made it one with a loving God who always tells the truth, who speaks, and it happens. God's own son did die for your sin, but he did not stay dead. It's interesting how the report that royal official received from his servants when he was on his way back down home, that report is a pretty clear preview of the report that the angel gave to the ladies from Jesus' tomb on Easter morning. God's son lives. And isn't it interesting exactly how the angel said it? He is risen just as he said. How about that? God speaks, and it happens. Jesus said he was going to rise, and he did. He lives, and so do you, because God said so. But now, what if, when adversity came into my life, all the way up to the ultimate adversity of death, what if I did not believe that what God ordains is always good? What if I could not believe that even that ultimate evil attack of death was going to be for my good, for God to deliver me safely to his side in his heavenly kingdom? Well, I couldn't believe that, and neither could you. No one could. Which is why God ordains even the woe and 
the sadness in our lives that we will deny ourselves, return to Jesus and hear him speak words that will secure our faith. Then we will stand firm until the end in that faith that believes what God says happens. Jesus lives, and so do you, perfectly and forever. Amen.